0: Hello again, friends. Welcome into Mile 41 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. This is Travis alongside my good friend Benjamin. Benji, how are you? Doing good, man. We are in the same room together for the first time since we last recorded this podcast. We are dressed alike, unknowingly matched for this episode. You look fantastic. I have to
1: say that shade of blue is so nice on you.
0: It does bring out my eyes. We got a lot to talk about. Yes. We it do. was an enormous weekend in the world of racing. Your number one takeaway. Let's just start it there. Number one takeaway from the past few days in the world of running. A weekend in which running got headlines, not just among runners, not just in the sports page, but all over the news. What's the biggest thing? With the proper engineering, anything is possible. Mm, okay, we'll dive into it. I'm gonna go totally different direction. To me, it's the women's marathon world record. Mm. I know that a man running a marathon under two hours is a huge story. By far the bigger story comes from Chicago. So let's kick it off with the Chicago Marathon. Bridget Koske, 1528 first 5K to get out. Golly. I'll take it.
1: Yeah, it's four seconds better than I've ever ran.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And my first thought, shared by Josh Cox of NBC Sports and his coverage, which I thought he, once again, did a very nice job. I know he gets a hard time on the internet, not necessarily for his coverage, but because he's not uh, quite in racing shape these days. (laughs) But among... American distance analysts. Josh does a very good job. And his fear was pacers got her out too fast. She's not going to be able to sustain this pace. A world record seemed absurd, but she was on her way to 214.04. By over 80 seconds, she breaks Paula Radcliffe's world record, which was 16 years old. Put this in perspective of what we saw yesterday in chicago that as she continued to click off these splits and they got dialed back in and then she was really steady after the first 5k what does this mean to you what you saw what does it mean to running new world record again 21404 we
1: just saw women's marathoning get taken to an entirely different level. Mm. I think this is just as significant, if not more significant, than Kipchoge's Berlin performance.
0: Yeah, from last year when, when he actually broke the certified world record. I would agree with you based on how much the record dropped but also how long it had been exactly. around, it w- right?
1: It was not a week record or
0: something yeah. everyone was getting right up to. Right. And when when Paula Radcliffe broke it, it was a huge jump too. Mm-hmm. And as you said, people really haven't been poking the bear over the past few years. We've seen Mary Catani flirt with it at times, and then at times in trying to flirt with it blew up. Her best races have been with really hard closes and negative splits. In some ways, this comes out of nowhere. We knew they were going to go out on a pace to target course record pace here, which seemed very realistic, but we didn't hear a ton of hype Is okay, is she ready to be the world record holder leading up to this? And, and part of that might be because of all the other stories, both in Chicago and worldwide, that drowned out just how good Bridget has been for the past couple of years. With World Marathon Major Championships, she just ran an incredibly fast uh, half marathon insane at the Great North Run going under 65 minutes. Not a certified course, again, in that case. So it was a world's best, not a world record Mm -hmm. in the half marathon. So we knew she had the wheels. But when she got out that fast and looked really comfortable, it was how long can she hang on? How long can she hang on? And as you watch the splits come in... It was evident, not only was she hanging on, she was going to take this thing easily. Cool moment with Paula Radcliffe at the finish line. Uh, Paula does a lot of commentary for races now at the finish line to congratulate her. But I I think you're right. The sport might not get as much attention as men's marathoning, But what it did was definitely on that same plane as Kipchoge at Berlin when he busted through the record. Speaking of that, the athlete formerly known as Dennis Cometo was in the field this week, former world record. Yeah, Yeah, most people don't even realize Uh, he was in a men's race that was a really fun race down the stretch. We had four guys duke it out, and it goes to Lawrence Cherono, who did almost the same thing at Boston in the spring. He is now your Boston and Chicago champions for 2019 in actual kickers races that we hardly ever see in a marathon. There's your winners, but it's the people who didn't win or in some cases didn't even make the finish that all the attention was on. Leading up to this, last episode we talked about the Alberto Salazar suspension and the impact that might have on his athletes, the two primary ones we're thinking about in this case are Galen Rupp in the men's race, his return from an injury, and Jordan Hesse in the women's race, who wanted a pacer to go out on 70 minutes through the half and make an assault on Dina Castor's American women's record. How'd that turn out? It did not turn out well. <laughs> we saw Jordan having to pull out
1: around the two-mile mark because of or well she actually went through the 5k but she stopped at two miles to try and stretch out a hamstring issue Mm -hmm. and dropping out shortly after 5k and then we saw galen drop out due to a calf strain at mile 23
0: yeah we'll hear more hopefully in the coming days from both of their camps my question for jordan is did we know anything about this leading up is this something new that popped up right Uh, i mean i haven't seen anything to suggest she had had a an issue with this earlier for Galen it's I think a really concerning injury just given where it is and the surgery that he yes, had yes exactly Right. so he had an Achilles issue before the Hagland's deformity and had an Achilles surgery and knowing that he's feeling some sort of calf strain or tightness which according to what we read afterwards said that he was feeling this at like 10k into the race yes I thought his approach early on, if he would actually felt good, was probably smart. The Pacers went out on 2.04, like 2.06 is his best, and he stayed to the back of the front pack and kind of let them go, and having not raced in so long, this seemed reasonable. He hadn't been in competition since Chicago a year ago. He hung back, and he hung back behind another racer who is a huge question mark coming out of yesterday, and... That is what happened to Sir Mo, last year's champion, the heavy favorite coming into the race, who skipped the World Track Championships at Doha. We had heard, oh, he might be coming back to do the 10K. That had been the plan right. for much of the year. I bet he wish he did. Yeah, he, he chose <laughs> to skip that and instead focuses solely on Chicago and essentially just blew up. Another real question mark. So. Let's tackle this from a bunch of different angles now. For yesterday at Chicago, obviously the women's world record gets and deserves the most attention. On that note, what more can we see from Bridget Koske? Who knows, honestly. (laughs) I mean, doesn't it feel a little bit like that's an open-ended question of... I mean... Is
1: it fair to even expect more from her?
0: Right. I think (laughs) it's... Would she
1: ever touch that sort of performance again?
0: It feels almost silly to think that she can, knowing that it's a flat course. She's in great fitness. The weather was nice. Mm -hmm. All those variables are there. But on the flip side, what about Berlin? What about London? And what about the other fast courses in the future? So just putting it out there, not expecting you to have an answer, because I don't have one at all. I think we're... We knew she was really, really good, and this just struck us with how exceptional it was yesterday. We know it wasn't so great for Jordan say and Galen Rupp, so how about this question? Good day or bad day for American distance running yesterday at Chicago? Fantastic day. Okay. I don't know that I'll go to fantastic, but overall I think I agree that I would say good, and why do you say that?
1: So in the entirety of 2017 and 2018... Only two American men had broken 212 in the marathon Galen Rupp and Tim Ritchie.
0: So Rupp 206, fastest at Prague. Tim Ritchie was at CIM in the US Championships in December of 2017. Yes. Now, this year, earlier this year, we already got off to a good start. Our boys rolled at Boston. At Boston, you had really strong performances from? Jared Ward and Scott Fobble. Yep, absolutely. And then what happened at Chicago?
1: We saw 10 American men go under two hours and 12 minutes.
0: So there was a nice pack of 210 guys. Where where were we with the 210 guys? Who was in that field? So our top American was Jake Riley at
1: 210.36. Yeah. Followed by a recent graduate of your Colorado State Rams. We love that program. (laughs) Gerald Mock. Not Cole Rockhold, but close. Yes, the
0: 24-year-old ran 210-37. You know what I love about the Gerald Mock story? Not just that he's from Fort Collins and we're huge in Fort Collins, but also that a young guy, pretty much straight out of college, made this move to the marathon, and I Actually, I don't always advise that for for athletes. You want to work up to it. You want to be prepared. But it is fun to see because this is, as we've discussed, what is happening in East Africa. They're going to this event really young, and they're spending the heart of their competitive career in it. And so it'll be a nice, fun case study to see what Gerald Mock does over the course of the next decade, because he is incredibly young for a good marathoner. Galen Rupp was half a decade away from even running a marathon That's at true. that point in his career. And he goes in the 210 range. And one more, right? Under 211? We actually had
1: two more under oh, 211. okay. Before we do, I recommend anyone who likes psychedelic rock music to listen to General Mock's band, Hermit Commune. That is good stuff right there. You'll appreciate that recommendation. Yes. So, in 11th place was your man, Parker Stinson. Pure Michigan. Running
0: 210.53. Yep. He, as he is known to do, got out a bit quick. (laughs) But he controlled it this time. I think he got out on, like, 209 pace and faded a little bit, but not much. We've seen some kind of epic blowups from the American 25K record holder who just edged out Christo Landry's record in that event this year. So he goes under 211, and we had one more.
1: We had another veteran, Andrew Bumble.
0: Oh, Bumby. I did not realize. I thought he was right over 211. I'm sorry, Andrew. He PR'd by three minutes and two seconds. I think early in the broadcast, Josh Cox made a comment because Andrew Bumble was in like the second row lined up at the start. And they were talking about guys who had the credentials to do more and said you would think from some of his other performances, he could put together a good marathon.
1: Yeah. And he, he sure did. Yeah. He has personal bests of 13.12 in the 5K mm-hmm. and 27.56 in the 10K.
0: Across the board. Great balance from Bumble. So that's fun. Yeah, And then we had another pack of 2.11-ish guys.
1: Yes, a lot of 2.11 guys.
0: So overall we put, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you said 10 under 2.12 yesterday. And Galen Rupp didn't finish. Yeah. So that's the good news for American running. We probably never thought, uh, I'm glad we were actually both out of town and couldn't do a prediction show because I feel strongly that I would not have predicted Jacob Riley as the top American finisher. Goodness, no. Now, Rupp is certainly the preeminent American
1: marathoner. If he shows up to the starting line at 90% health.
0: That's right. He's going to get on the team. Yes. But I am a little bit nervous about making, you know, we're less than five months away. Just hoping that he is 100%. Uh, Regardless of what you think about what happened with his coach and the Nike Oregon project, which since we last saw you, the entire team is getting shut down. Having the best level of competition possible at the trials would be the most fun. Yes. And for people here in our region, knowing that it's coming to Atlanta, it'd be a whole lot more fun to make that drive down to watch that event with everybody on the starting line. Another American guy who'll be on the starting line, our boy, Ryan Root.
1: Big Root.
0: All right. Rootski, who was a guest on the program, went 217 with a very strong negative split. Yes. If you follow Ryan on Strava, he mentioned that he was pretty conservative early on, and the numbers would bear out that truth. I suspect if he had it to do over again, he might have made a move a little bit earlier, but there is no shame in an incredibly strong performance.
1: And just as a testament to Ryan's hard work, when he was working here at run he had a goal of running 5,000 miles in one year. He is approaching three years in a row of where he has
0: ran over 5,000 miles a year. Mm. Whatever that number is for you is probably irrelevant. The fact that he's done it with consistency and generally with health, that's the reason he's been so successful. I know I'm speaking for Ryan a bit right now, but he would, like so many others say, it's not been one or two or three magic workouts along the way. Look at that curriculum vitae of work that he's put together there of three straight years now. 5,000 miles. That is awesome. Good for you, Ryan. We're really proud of you. That was an awesome effort. I'm going to flip to the women's side as an addition to why I think it was a really good day for American running. Emma Bates, 225. She likes the marathon. Yeah. Only her second appearance. She wins the US Champs last year at CIM in, in 228. Better's that by 3 minutes. Steph Bruce is right behind her. She is jumping from a 229 to now a 227-ish PR. I can't remember the exact number on her. Do you have that?
1: So that time on Stephanie was 227.47. Okay. Great finish from her. And she was closely followed by Lindsay Flanagan. Right.
0: That was the point I was going to make. I think we had four, maybe five Americans in the top ten, even without Jordan Hesse. We had five. Five Americans in the top ten without Jordan Hesse, with Sarah Hall having been at Berlin and then returning for New York City with Shalane Flanagan on the other side of the world broadcasting a marathon in Vienna, Austria. (laughs) Des Linden's not there. Amy Craig. You know, these these huge names are are not there, and we still had five in the top ten. So that's exciting to me. I'll also give a second splat shout-out. My girl Jessica, we have been working with this year, had a three-minute PR at Chicago. So good on you, Jessica. Nice. Proud proud of you. Great work.
1: Also, big shout-out to the eighth-place finisher from Australia, or sorry, ninth place, uh, Lisa Whiteman.
0: She's 40 years old. And she actually, I, I think through 30K, maybe even that deep in the race, was in fourth place. Wow, what a baller. So, yeah. <laughs> Watch out, Masters Division. Lisa's on your heels. A couple other questions to wrap up the Chicago discussion. Thoughts on what this means for Mo Farah moving forward? Are you of the opinion that... We've seen the best we'll see. Wow. I know we haven't discussed this previously, so I'm putting it out there because I now lean that direction.
1: Yeah, I, I would say I agree with that. I just don't think he's going to have the success at the marathon that he did on the track.
0: And given his age and where he is the next time you see him. You know, this goes back to a point you raised last time. Does a guy like Mo? Does he do the Olympics next year? Everything would suggest yes, but now you have me thinking all these conspiracy theories about what people are going to run. If you're Mo, are you better off just doing London a few months before with a huge payday and then decide then what you're going to do? Right. Because it would seem evident, I know he's a competitor, but it would seem evident he's not on a Kipchoge, Bekele... Playing field, and and you know maybe he was sick. Maybe there's something more to it that we don't know about. Maybe there's more to the story. And certainly, having been formerly a few years back a Salazar athlete, all the questions in that story probably weighed on him as well. But Definitely. I, we might be jumping to something there. But I I feel like that torch is going to be getting passed soon to the next top British marathoner. But it's been an incredible decade from Sir Mo.
1: So place your bet on the line. Do we see Mo? On the start line for the marathon at Tokyo. Yes. I agree. I'll say
0: yes. Yeah. Um, The logical thing is we see him at London, and then he comes back because you have four-ish months. He comes back at Tokyo. And rather than going for a payday somewhere next fall, like just going to Chicago instead. And I guess maybe the next question is, this seems like snap judgment. Has the RUP trajectory changed He seemed like he was on this path toward breaking through to a next level that American marathoners haven't been at. One, just in time, with the exception of like Ryan Hall, but also in competition level on the global stage, given a bronze medal at the last Olympics. Right. I don't see anything to suggest he's in medal contention next year. We're a long way out, but if you had asked me that question two years ago, I would have said, oh yeah, he's still in the mix. Right.
1: And I don't think we can say he's not. Uh, so, yeah. It's Galen Rupp at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> I don't want to overstate it, but I, I don't, he's not a metal favorite for me. I think we'll know more after the trials. Yeah. See what kind of health he's in, if nothing else.
1: I actually uh, had a stat I wanted to read and get your opinion on. Yeah, hit Throw me. you a curveball. Love it. It actually goes back to what I said earlier is my takeaway from the weekend was that with correct engineering, anything is possible. So the controversy in the running world, especially the marathon running world, has been the Nike Vaporfly shoes and the Next% Percent shoes. Yeah. This carbon fiber plate, springy.
0: Is that the controversy, or is everyone that's blood doping the controversy? Because that bothers me a whole lot more.
1: But I wanted to read you some stats. Since the vapor flies were introduced officially in 2017, we have seen the following. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this from Let's Run, I am not this clever. I just wanted to run these by you.
0: Well, as an aside, before you begin, that's when it was officially introduced. But remember, guys were wearing prototypes all the way back to the 2016 Olympic trials. That's the point. Good so point. that might even skew whatever numbers you're about to give me. Oh, it won't. No okay. worries. Okay.
1: So point one: five different men have run faster than the world record that existed before the release of the Vaporflies. Yep. Yeah. Point two: Kipchoge has run. Two hours and twenty-five seconds, and one hour fifty-nine minutes and forty seconds yep. in his exhibition races. Mm-hmm. Two men have run faster than the previous half marathon world record of fifty-eight twenty-three, though one yep. was later See,
0: that leads to my point <laughs> caught for doping.
1: Yeah, there have been seven performances that have been recorded faster than Florence Kiplagat's pre-VaporFly world record of sixty-five oh seven mm-hmm. for the women. And then we had Bridget Cosguy obliterating Paula Radcliffe's world record by 81 seconds. How much of this is we are just kind of evolving the sport? Coaching is getting better. People are training longer. We have younger people starting this marathon training earlier. And then how much do you think of this is actually the shoe?
0: Okay. It's funny, you mentioned last there what Bridget Goskis said after the race. She was not even planning to wear the shoe, right? It was something I think her agent or coach told her as part of her contract she was supposed to. She said
1: after uh, the Enios 159 challenge, uh, she decided to. I actually have a direct quote from her if you want me to read it. Yeah, please. My agent told me I'm supposed to use the pink one, the next (laughs) percent, and I refuse. I was just 50-50 to use the pink one. But something came in my mind. Say that yesterday, Kipchoge run and use the same shoes and other pacemakers. Why not me?
0: Yeah. So, oh, big can of worms here. I think the shoes are part of it, of, of what's happening. And as someone who ran a marathon a week ago and wore the shoe, I, I don't know if you'll call it advantage, but the, the efficiency gained in those shoes is real. And I think it's as much about the cushion as it is the carbon fiber plate. I know for me, I just feel fresher late. I just feel a little less banged up. And being able to combine really high cushion with really light weight is just something we didn't have before. Right. You're seeing, you know, you talked about just an evolution of the sport. I think that's natural too. We get better, records are made to be broken. The doping controversies worry me far more than the shoe. But my opinion about the shoes changed a little bit this weekend. So I'm going to use this to segue into Enios 159. Great. Elliot Kipchoge runs a marathon distance, not a certified marathon, in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. He was in the prototype of the Nike Alpha Fly. And seeing a zoomed in picture of that shoe changed my entire opinion about where we're headed with the shoes. I thought people were doing these slippery slope arguments with the shoes that just don't hold up in educated circles. You still have to train. You still have to get better. And for most people, that's far more important than what you're putting on your foot. Go out there and work harder, work smarter, get better. But when you see the front of this shoe zoomed in that looks like pods and almost like a spring system, yes. I feel like it's gone too far at that point. And where we stand on carbon fiber plates, i it's up in the air. I've done running without them. I've run good marathons without them. If we all decide that that's no longer going to be legal, I'm happy to switch back. But I do want it to be about... Pushing human limits, not maybe necessarily technological limits, because that's how you opened this. And Kipchoge, in his quotes after the race, he talked about how this is pushing human limitations. That was the beauty of what he did. Someone ran the 26.2 mile distance in under two hours. I found it super exciting and inauthentic. Hmm. It, I enjoyed it as much as it bothered me. I was up at three in the morning watching. I love that people who don't normally tune in to running are aware of this story. Now, I had a friend in my group at church whose daughter runs cross-country but otherwise is not a serious runner texting me the next morning about, did you see what happened? That, to me, is good for our sport that people are aware and paying attention. But it doesn't count as a world record. We understand that. And I think it does a little bit take away from when somebody breaks, whether it's Kipchoge or someone else, when that person now runs two o and 35 seconds, let's say, in a real marathon and sets a new world record, we're going to be like, well, didn't someone already run faster than that? Exactly. We've already done this before. And so it's a little bothersome to me from that perspective and the shoe perspective. And I'll add two points. One, if it wasn't him, if it wasn't Elliot Kipchoge, I think I would be even more, I, I, I hate to say that I'm just like being a Debbie Downer, but I think I would be even more so if it was someone else. Because he is held up generally as someone who does the right things and is a really good person. And most people think to be a clean athlete his presence made it a little bit more legitimate to me than certainly anyone who's got questions swirling about doping. But the second point I'll add is I'm not sure what this actually told us about human limits because I think we did not see Elliot Kipchoge's limits. I I don't know that he pressed his limit because he followed in behind pacers on a very specific time scale and held to that until very late. Yes. You know, he's down to like the last mile before he broke through the Pacers. If you haven't seen it, get on YouTube and watch. I mean, these Pacers are 40 plus of the greatest athletes in the world. These are Olympic medalists. These are the cream of the crop. And they were so excited for him. Oh, that,
1: that was my biggest takeaway from the event is just running can bring people together.
0: Yeah, there was a beauty to that. And that's what he has for so long tried to promote he has been a champion of making the world a better place through running and i love that perspective but we are missing an s- incredibly significant variable if we're going to test his limits and that is competition yes there is no competition in that race if we had somebody if we've discussed this a little bit before so we won't go down the rabbit hole too far but if he had somebody to race against, what does that mean? Because in study after study of when people run their best and how records get broken, the element of competition is hugely valuable in running your best race. Who knows? I mean, they had to keep it under control because they don't want this thing to blow up and not break too. but I wish they had changed that pacing and taken that green laser and started moving it a little faster on that last 5K. and had those pacers push it more and see what would happen. So we've moved on the the discussion from the shoes. The, The point you brought up, I think, is fantastic. My answer, I guess the shorter answer to your shoe point is we need to get clear, precise outlines of moving forward what is going to be legal or not legal. To me, the greatest parallel is the speed suits in swimming from a decade ago when within one year we saw world record after world record after world record fall across events, and it was clear how much it was changing the sport, and it was seen as an incredible edge and something that, as I said, like this race was inauthentic towards sporting competition. I worry that the next shoe might be headed that way. Other takeaways from Vienna in 159.40. I'll put a couple things out here for you. To to build on that, it was huge. It was groundbreaking. It was not the, quote, Neil Armstrong moment, unquote, that I heard multiple times during the coverage. The risk that went into a moonshot was not this. It was something very different. And this was really, really neat. But I don't think putting it on that level is is quite fair. They really built that up. I would love to see a training log of what they were doing leading up. He has shared a training log previously from a couple years ago. What kind of paces were they working at? You know, was 159.59 the goal pace they went from? That'd be fun to see. I'm going to go to the next piece that we brought up just about Mo and Galen. You know, is this the best we ever see? Not just from time, but have we peaked now with Elliot Kipchoge as well? Who's Is there a next in line? Those questions started to pop into my head. I'll close and give it to you here in a minute with these two points. One, asking for like a 157, 158 performance was just asking too much. There was too much risk for that. We would have loved to seen that and maybe it is possible, but it's it, it was too big of a reach for that day. He made this not about him, but about us. And that's the beauty, the inspiration of pushing our limits in making human limits really more about a mental construct not a physical one sure there's a physical limit but i don't think we are there yet that was the beauty um the last thing i'll say for the coverage is i wish we could have gotten more footage of him the head-on stuff all we see is the pack and the pacers and you barely see him and the stuff from the side we could see him more I want everyone in the world to know what we're actually watching, not a guy tucked in behind a pack of pacers that bothered me a little bit in just trying to, again, bring exposure to the sport and connect with him in the effort. Yes, I've rattled on about a bunch of different things there from 159. I am both strongly hot and cold on what we saw this weekend in Vienna. What are your thoughts, Benji?
1: I thought it was neat. Um, Yeah. I don't know that... It changed anything for me. Um, It's just as impressive to me, honestly, as when he ran two hours and 25 seconds. Mm. Yeah, I think Kimchogi's a great human, and I'm excited to see him race again.
0: That was simple, concise, but eloquent. You fairly summed up a lot of my more long-winded thoughts. (laughs) I built you the clock. Benji just told you the time. It'll be exciting to see where he goes next, to add to your point there of where, when and where we see him again in the future, and then what we really want, the real groundbreaking moment is when does somebody break two hours in an actual race, because that's the one that should really get us all fired up. Definitely. And I do want to add, for people who didn't see it and don't know why this doesn't count toward a world record, the pacing that they used having drinks provided to him on bikes that were moving alongside of him rather than having to grab him off a table, those little things, the pacers moving in and out, not having the same pacer, but them exchanging throughout, Um, having him be the only competitor there was actually no one to race against. All these are reasons why it's not a record legal attempt. Now, in probably, I guess, the biggest moment of the past couple weeks of marathoning, I survived a race.
1: Yeah, you did. I know, Came home with a shiny new personal bet. Uh,
0: yeah, I know you wanted to dive into it a little bit more, so I'm happy to share my experience at the St. George Marathon. Before you ask some questions, I will say to the listeners, I recommend it. It's beautiful. If for nothing else than the beauty of the course, the first few miles, of this started before sunrise, and just dawn. Coming over the canyon, hitting that desert floor in the morning was absolutely breathtaking. Colors coming out of the canyon, the weather was fantastic, and plus it's it's a part of the world, St. George and Southwest Utah, where you know I was able to go do some hiking afterward at Zion and Cedar Breaks and, and other parks around, but you're close to the, the Grand Canyon and Bryce and Arches and all this stuff isn't too far. So if you're looking for a fall destination to run... Put it on your list. It was great. And uh, as we were told, like, gosh, it's been a year and a half ago now, I think, when Bill Pierce, uh, professor at Furman, I asked him what's his favorite race from his huge list of experience at all kinds of distances. And he picked St. George, and it was a good pick. So it's yours, Benji. What do you want to know about this breaking 240 attempt that I'm sure some sort of documentary will come out soon? Sure, let's provide the
1: listeners with a little pretext. Please. Talk about your health. You had a little Mm. scare, hiccup, I don't know what to call it. A health scare. It
0: It wasn't that serious. It was definitely a hiccup. I don't know what happened. I certainly had allergy issues. That was, you know, some sinus and throat stuff going on. And then something that may have been the flu, I don't know. But the stomach, oh, tummy was not happy. And just chills for a couple nights and legs are sore, all that kind of stuff. So I had to balance, like, at first it was, okay, I'm just feeling a little crappy. This stuff happens while you're tapering. You get out of routine and you don't feel great. But by the day before, it was, do I actually do this? Because I have another one coming up in a couple months. I can save it and make another attempt. But I felt good enough. The morning of, I got up at three and went out and jogged five minutes just to see how I felt. And I felt good enough that I knew I was going to start. I knew I was going to get on the line. In the back of my mind, I really think I thought, if I'm getting on the line, I'm probably going to finish and run this as well as I can. So I cannot, will not use feeling bad as an excuse. Maybe I could have done better, but I am totally content with what I did in those circumstances.
1: So you jog your five minutes, ultimately yeah. decide you're going to start. Yep. Let's start.
0: Yeah. The gun goes off. It was uh, it was great. They, you had to get busted up from the finish line because there was really kind of, uh, really, I guess, just one way in and out of the canyon there on the highway where we ran. It's in the 40s, which I loved at the beginning. Crazy windy up at the top because we're pretty high elevation, right? You're 5,000 plus feet. There was a, a little area they had set aside for think maybe the first 50 to 100 bibs. And I, I somehow ended up in this group that gets this elite corral. I don't know if anyone has ever been less of a fit in an elite corral than <laughs> I was that day. But thank you to the people at St. George for putting me there with nice space and heaters and our own bathrooms and area to warm up. And it was really kind of cool. And as we closed to just a couple minutes before race time and they uh, the push rim guys started... We moved out to the start line, you got 5,500 other people behind a rope that I'm looking back at, that they are looking at me warming up like, that guy's good. And I'm looking at him like, boy, I just hope I can finish this race. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we got out and it was pretty much locked in about where I wanted it. I I started at a first 5K essentially on pace from my previous marathon. PR, which I thought was really safe. Uh, I knew from my body of work leading up that if things were going well, I was going to run a better race than I had ever before. Highlight for me of the race was, again, those early miles, the desert morning, and at about five, six miles, locking in with two guys from northern Utah, who both had actually spent at least a year on the BYU cross-country team earlier on, which was so much fun. So uh, I want to thank two guys there, uh, Tyler and Ryan, who I ran like five plus miles with. There is a really, really big uphill at mile about seven or eight. And going into it, Ryan told me, he said there, a professor at BYU had worked with, um, I, I believe had worked with Jared Ward who we know has done some statistical modeling on marathoning, and this other professor who had been a previous champion at St. George. They had worked together to create an optimal pacing guide for how to attack the uphills in this. Oh, wow. And I guess at our kind of goal pace, they said dial back 40 seconds that mile, and then in the subsequent miles where it tapers off and gets a little more gradual, dial back, I think, 15 to 20 So from about 7 to 12, that was our approach. Having other guys to work with then on that uphill, not just knowing the pace, but then having them to not push too hard and not because it's easy to go to drive up it or to fall back and just sandbag it too much and be too conservative. And Ryan had told me that that's what he did last year. He dropped his pace by over a minute up the hill, and it turned out to be too much. So I worked with him, and then at the last maybe half mile to mile of the gradual uphill, I broke away knowing we were heading into some flat and then some sharp downhill. And I, from my experience, I don't think I'm as good of a downhill runner as someone who runs comparable times to me, but I do consider myself a pretty good uphill runner. So I, I tinkered with those times a little bit. But it got me to half on target knowing that the way I felt – when I was probably somewhere between 12 and 14, I knew it, it's a PR day. I, I felt very confident at that point.
1: So we reach halfway. Mm-hmm. Have you taken a gel or any fluids at this point?
0: Yeah, so I had done one a Morton Gel 100 and a little bit from a bottle of just Amino Vital. It's an amino acid and electrolyte mix. I've been using both of those a lot. I will say that I could tell it was going to be a rough day on the stomach trying to take gels. I did take one more later on. I started to try to get into a third, and I could tell it wasn't going to happen. My stomach was still really bothering me from being sick. And that was the biggest thing that held me back at the end of the race. The last 5K, my stomach was surly. Uh, It was where in these yards as we come into town can I be looking for a spot if I need to hurl this thing up? Oh, Um, man. But I, I sent this. We have a group text with friends of ours that we all work out together at times and you know people are sending me stuff afterward and the first thing that I send afterwards this it's stupid but it's legitimate from about halfway on every mile I came back to a single thought I don't know why it popped into my head but I was in Utah and I I thought back to 22 years ago <laughs> in the NBA finals <laughs> Michael Jordan at Utah has the flu and puts up this incredible performance on the way to the Bulls winning the championship. And I was a huge basketball fan growing up. My dad was a basketball coach. And it was just in my head. And I started to think about, let's make it that kind of performance. It's not the same scale. I know that. It's ridiculous of me to think that. But just knowing somebody else has fought through feeling really, really bad like this, and actually not just fought through it, but had a great performance, it drove me to think to myself, "I'm gonna to get to the end of this, and I'm gonna tell all those guys back home, I had a flu game performance." And you did. And I did. You know that that was it was in my head. I was gonna have it drive me, and I don't know. From 23 on, I was struggling to find that strength for it to drive me anymore. But you know what? I got there, and it was the first thing I sent everybody because it, it really did resonate with me. Trying to find a different mental gear, it's about it's the Kipchoge idea of being about human limitation. What is my limit? Where can I press to that I haven't been to before, and how am I going to respond when I'm pressed to that point? I'm overall proud of how I responded. But as every marathoner, I can look back and say, you know what? I probably could have gotten some time here and some time there, regardless of how I felt. I would say because the second half is downhill, I knew I was going to be able to go with a negative split. I think it was about a three-minute negative split. But if you are looking for that optimal, like, set myself up for the fastest course possible, I don't know that this is the place. Really? Given the uphill early and the downhill in so many points was so sharp that if you're able to run those kind of grades beforehand, this is the spot for you to run really fast. But the downhill you get in the second half of this, while I certainly ran faster, it, for me, it felt too much. Mm. I, you know, If I'm gonna set up my perfect course, it's largely flat with some gradual long downhills, right? And, and there was some sharp stuff where it was just like, even though I had practiced some downhill running, I don't know that I have access to places, enough places, where I really could have gotten the practice I needed for that. So just be cautious of that if you choose to go run there.
1: So you're not able to press as hard as you want the last 5K because of stomach issues. Mm -hmm. You come into the finishing straight. You try a 10-second surge.
0: I did. I put a surge because I knew I had about 300 meters left, and there was a guy not too far off from me. I made a surge, and I was moving on him. And then I thought, if this surge lasts any longer, this surge is going to be all over my jersey. My second splat singlet will be covered in what little I have eaten for the past days. And that was the thing here. that The night before, I had a cup of chicken soup, which is not normally where I'd go. But just, like, hot liquids and some sodium in there seemed good. I had a hot chocolate that afternoon. Yeah, like... That was where I was with my diet. Who are and, you? I don't know. Someone who's not a good runner, clearly, because that's not what you do. <laughs> I, but yeah, I'm thinking, okay, this is probably going to end up with hot chocolate all over if my surge. So I gathered it for like five seconds. I settled, and then I thought, okay, I just got to go for it, and I went for it again. Did you get him? I didn't. He got me by a few seconds. But uh... you know, you're thinking about that as you've raced. Like that's someone that I, I really should have targeted to, to beat, and now. I'm so excited that I come out of it feeling well now and I get an opportunity quickly to go back in and do another one. That's not something I would normally do. And I only signed up for the second one because I have friends doing it. I'm in uncharted waters on how to bounce back and do it again. But now I have this motivation of knowing, okay, I didn't feel 100%. What can I do if I feel 100%? And that doesn't mean I'll run better next time, but I know I'm going to take some different risks that excites me. I'm going to put myself out there on a pace to run better and just see what happens.
1: Sticking with this Michael Jordan theme, <laughs> in the immortal words of Drake, yeah. I believe this is how you're going to bounce back. Mm. You're going to bounce back like 2-3 did with 4-5.
0: Oh, I did have the, as I started thinking about the Jordan flu game, the second half of the race, I had the... Um, the jay-z kanye watch the throne lyrics from like 10 years ago of of jordan game six in my head so then i've got like this just running on loop (laughs) in my head bothering me the whole way home it gives you some swagger though (laughs) i don't know if you look at the race pictures i don't think that's swagger but again overall awesome experience recommend it for everyone and as i've said many times it's always fun to come home with a PR. I don't think you can ever complain about that. And could and should it have been better? Yeah, probably. But when I hit the flight to get out there, if you had told me, okay, you're going to get a little bit of a PR here, you're going to run 239, for an athlete of my ability level, I'll take that every day. Six minutes per mile for a guy who in his first mile attempt at age, whatever it was, 12 in eight minute mile. That, that's coming a long way, and that's something that you can be proud of. So, it it was it was an awesome experience, and I'm ready to bring back something faster next time.
1: Awesome, no doubt you will.
0: So, uh, a couple other amazing performances we want to hit before we get out of here. Kona was this weekend, Ironman at Kona. Uh, we got a new course record there, but also we want to congratulate our friends here in town from the Tri Marney training group they took uh five athletes out there Carell and marnie did uh, for marnie that is that is her fifth finish at kona and 17th iron man finish overall wow I, it hurts just even thinking about that <laughs> thing all in other iron man news two of the guys that we train with were out at chattanooga a couple weeks ago we didn't get to mention that so our boy craggins the man of a million nicknames grinding through some terrible conditions out there to finish so good for him i think he was top 10 percent our man spencer had some problems on the bike some mechanical issues he's going to get back at it better than ever because that guy right now is so fast he's going to put up a good performance for you soon and of course i have to shout d3 prenats from a couple of weeks ago that we didn't get to our boys from otterbein you know the cardinals are my team Ooh. top three finish they're going to be sneaking around the old chicken coop late season. Those boys are scooting this year. I, I am calling early call on a top 10 finish at Nationals Man, for our friends, our friends there. Anybody else you want to mention? Yeah. Just Anybody who ran a few miles this week? Just hit sure. me.
1: Greer High School yep. ran at the Coach's Classic Meet this weekend, yep. putting their top four and the top 24 runners Ooh. in this state. Okay. Also... Most of their team was sporting a new piece of jewelry as they all got an earring, and I am a big fan of this move. Oh I was unaware. Yes, we got uh, Cohen leading the charge with a big old diamond in his oh, ear. Oh, I bet he looks
0: fantastic. Uh, he's adorable. I bet Coach Roberts is fired up. Did he get a, an earring as well? Coach, did he? Uh, he didn't really want to discuss that. Okay. But... I will ask privately. <laughs> Please don't. Okay. I will. Wow. Okay. Well, good on them. Last piece of news. Seconds Flat Athletic Club t-shirts are in. Shoot an email if you're interested in one or swing by run in. Got some I'm going to be sending out to my athletes, but we've got a bunch of those ordered, so we're going to have extras around. And we'd love to see you sporting it in our old school, old English logo on that soft tri-blend t-shirt. Dingy, I think that's it. We good? I'm good. You're great, buddy. That was mile 41 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Do
1: we have a marathon episode coming up soon?
0: 42.2 kilometers yes. maybe coming? Yeah, we got to do that for the people. Uh, podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, topic ideas, or maybe you're interested in some Seconds Flat apparel. Catch us there. We'll see you next time now.